There's a, a band that I listen to called Muse, which I think maybe like three people in the room have heard of. Um, but they have a song, and it starts like this. It says, Come ride with me through the veins of history, and I'll show you a God who falls asleep on the job. And so what they're saying is, if you look back in history, it looks like God is asleep, right? There's no control. They don't know what's going on. There's no explanation for all of the things that is happening. And so that's sort of the theme that we have in Habakkuk, which we are starting this morning, is where is God? What is he doing? Why is he waiting? Why can't we see what he's doing? Why isn't it more obvious? And maybe you come here this morning and you think, right, God is asleep, what is he doing? He's not paying any attention to what's happening in my life. Can't he see what's happening to me, how I'm struggling, how I'm hurting? And so it reminds me of the story of Elijah back in the Old Testament, where Elijah kind of has this showdown um, with the prophets of another god, and this kind of this competition of whoever's god will uh, burn wood on top of an altar, and the other people go first, and Elijah kind of taunts them a little bit. And he sa- basically says, well, maybe your god is like busy Like, maybe he's taking a nap or something, and that's why he can't hear you. And then he goes a little further, and he actually says, maybe he's just in the bathroom, and that's why he's not responding, right? And so it makes me think of that, of where is God? And then after they hear that, they kind of cry out, and they actually actually cut themselves to get their God's attention. And maybe this morning, you're asking a similar question, right? How do I get God's attention? Maybe you're saying, do I need to hurt myself? Or do I need to go off the path or to be in danger for God to pay attention to what is going on with me? Or maybe you're doing just fine and you're like, hey, everything's going good for me. But you look around at the world and you see other people who are struggling and who are hurting. And you're like, what is happening here and what do we do about it? And So that's the big question in Habakkuk. Where is God? What is he doing? Why isn't he responding? How long do we have to wait to see him act? And that's our, our, our overall theme is waiting for God. Right? We're going to get to a, a verse later in chapter 2, and basically Habakkuk is going to say, I'm just going to stand here, and I'm going to wait until you answer me, until you give me the answers that I'm looking for. And so we do have this guy like waiting at the end of the pier, and so we're just kind of all sitting there like, God, what are you doing? And that's sort of what we're going to see in Habakkuk. And so let's read um, a, a few verses together. It's going to be page 832 in your Bible that's in front of you, um, if you want to turn along with us, or you can follow along if you have the YouVersion Bible app or our Brentwood Bible app. You can get there as well. And so this is it's going to be a little faster than our series on Mark, which took us like nine months um, to get through, but the, we're going to go a little slower through Habakkuk. And so here we go, verses 1 through 4 of Habakkuk. It says, the pronouncement that the prophet Habakkuk saw, how long, Lord, must I call for help and you do not listen? Or cry out to you about violence, and you do not save? Why do you force me to look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Oppression and violence are right in front of me. Strife is ongoing, and conflict escalates. This is why the law is ineffective, and justice never emerges. For the wicked restrict the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted." And so we're going to stop there this morning, and I just want to, as we get here, normally when we start a book of the Bible, because we kind of go through them, we give you a bunch of history and what's going on with them and where they're from, Um, but it's a little different for Habakkuk, because, right, we don't get any of that. It just says Habakkuk, and he had this 
oracle or pronouncement that he received. There's no history, there's no connection, um, and so we only get his name in this book. For example, another prophet named Amos, this is how that book starts. It says, the words of Amos, who was one of the sheep readers from Tekoa, what he saw regarding Israel in the days of King Uzziah of Judah and Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake, right? And so most of the prophets and um, Habakkuk is called a minor prophet, not because they were less important, because their books are shorter. Um, and so we get very little from him, but other people, we at least, at least get some of that. But from some research, most people think that Habakkuk is about um, the time of King Jehoiakim, which is the son of King Josiah. So Josiah was a good king, did lots of great things. Um, they got conquered by Pharaoh. Uh, he installed another ruler who was Josiah's son. His son was totally wicked and doing all the things that they weren't supposed to do. So Habakkuk is probably in this season where the people of Israel are wicked, things are not going well, and this what was, we're going to see next week, the, the, the Babylonians are rising to power and headed towards their part of the world. And so there's another thing that makes the book of Habakkuk unique. Um, usually when we have a message from a prophet... Right? They actually speak that message to other people. But in Habakkuk, there's no other people involved. This is strictly a conversation between God and Habakkuk, back and forth. He never tells this to anybody else. I think he does at some point, obviously, because we're reading it this morning. Um, but in this book, he doesn't make any proclamation to others. So just think of it as a, a back and forth between him and God for these three chapters. And as we begin, I want to focus just on the word pronouncement. You may have oracle um, in your translation, but this word for pronouncement or oracle, it comes from the word really to lift, which sometimes is talking about raising your voice. Um, and so, but the root also means to carry, as in a burden, a burden that you carry. This is the same word that's used um, for the Israelites when they had the tabernacle, which is kind of a mobile church. Um, and they packed everything up and put it on the donkeys. The, this word is the same word for the burden that the donkeys carried when they were carrying the tabernacle. And so a lot of people say we should put these things together with this book of Habakkuk especially. That is, it is a, a burdensome message. It is a weighty word. This is not a light subject that we are talking about, right? It is a heavy book it's a weighty word. It's a burden that Habakkuk was dealing with and working through and talking to God through. And he's basically asking, like we've been saying, God, where are you? Right? He sees what's going on around him, and he can't understand it. And just to warn you today, because of how we're dividing up the sections, you're not actually going to get any answers today. We're going to save those for the other weeks. So just think of that as like teasers for coming back um, in the coming weeks. But I do want us to examine what Habakkuk is doing here this morning in order to talk about the, the way he's talking, the way he's praying. Um, and he has, I think, spent some time in reflection about God and himself and the world around him. And so we're asking, where is God and how can we find him? And so as I think about this book, I see Habakkuk kind of walking around the city, kind of looking at what's going on. Right? He's seeing how people operate in the market. He's watching the justice system to see how people are treated and how the laws are being enforced. And then he, after that, he observes and he reflects and he calls out to God. And I think in order to get to where he's at, I think he spent some time in deep reflection. Right? Because if you look at it, he isn't just making superficial observations. 
Right? He's been thinking, he's been processing. He isn't just whining about small inconveniences, but about deeper things. He's talking about the culture itself. Right? He's not just saying there's a guy in the market that's ripping people off, and it's this one guy. No, he's saying the whole system is corrupt. Everybody is ripping everybody off. Right? It's not just a few bad apples, but the wicked have taken over the courts, and there is no justice. Right? He sees the problems and how they're affecting people, especially the good people. Right? We see the verse at the end, the justice is perverted, the righteous are being held back. And along with that, I would think that those who are less fortunate are also included in this. And so our focus today is on Habakkuk and what I think is his prayer, right? He's talking to God, he's calling out to him, it's a prayer, but really how this shows us how to go deeper, especially in our reflection, in our spiritual lives, in our prayer life, right? Because we can do a lot of surface level things and those things are good, but I think it isn't until we go a little deeper that we can discover and find real change, right? We need to regularly observe and reflect and find root causes of sin and doubt or even success um, so that we can keep those coming. So think of it like this. Um, at some level, we all clean the places where we live, whether it's a house or an apartment or whatever it is, we do some level of cleaning. Um, now, I know that we won't all do the same level of cleaning. Some people are more clean than others. Some people like wait for like three days until the dishes are piling out of the sink, and then you do them one at a time, all together, or you do them as you go, right? There's different levels, but at some level, we all clean. But no matter how much you clean, or how clean you are, you always know that at some point, you're going to do what we usually call a deep clean, right? You're kind of on top of things, but you're like, oh, there's things I just don't get to, or this is piling up, or there's dust on this, or the stuff under the stove or the refrigerator. I don't know if anybody even cleans that out ever. I think you just move and hope the next person deals with it. Um, but right, but you know there's this level of clean that you're going to have to, to, it needs a little bit extra, right? It's like kids when you clean your room and for the three times that your parents don't notice, you just shove everything under the bed, right? And then the fourth time they figure out that you just shoved everything under the bed and then they make you pull everything out and put it away on the fourth time. It's kind of like that. The, the mess needs to be taken care of at some point. It's why we have terms like spring cleaning, Right? Because this is a concept that we are familiar with. And I think this is really familiar to a lot of us because I think a lot of us did a lot of cleaning during the pandemic when we were stuck in our houses for like nine months with nowhere to go. So, this, But we understand this concept of doing a deeper thing every once in a while. And the same concept is true in our spiritual lives. Right? We can do all the right things. Reading our Bibles, praying, being engaged at church. And those things are good and they are necessary. But I think we also need to go deeper in our spiritual lives as well. Right? We need to observe and reflect just like Habakkuk did. Because we find God, I think, when we reflect regularly. Right? We go deeper in our reflection, in our examination of our spiritual life every once in a while. And there's a, a question that, that I try to ask, and I want us to begin asking that, yes, to yourselves, but again, eventually to each other. Um, and the question is, it's essentially, how is your soul, right? How is your soul right now? What is going on with you, right? What are the deeper issues? How is your spiritual life? How is your spiritual health, right? More than asking, am I going to church? Am I doing the right things? This is a deeper question than that, right? It's a deeper level. It, it's, it's sort of talking about, do you hunger and thirst for time with God? Do you have a desire for God, but it doesn't lead to action, 
Right? Are you trusting? Are you doubting? Are you growing? Are you falling away? Are you complacent? Are you seeking? We talk about here not as uh, maturity as a disciple isn't necessarily arriving at a destination, but it's always this continuum that in your life in following Christ, you're either moving closer to him or you're moving further away. So at any point, you're doing one of those things. So if you're not sure you're moving closer, you're probably drifting further away. Right? This is the kind of thing that we need to reflect on, that we need to think about, right? to understand where we are spiritually, to do the deeper things, to understand how is your soul how are you seeking? How are you feeling in seeking it? But we see in Habakkuk, right, not just ourselves, but we need to pay attention to what is happening in the world around us, right? Habakkuk reflected on what he saw, and he put these pieces together, and we should do the same, because we can so easily be focused just on our own little world, right? I can think about me and my family and the church, and that's all I think about, that's all I look at, and everything else is just kind of out there. And every once in a while, it might impede in my life. But for the most part, I just stay focused in this little corner. And I think we all kind of do that. But I think we need to look outside of our world and see, what do we see going on? What do we see out there? Because I think as we understand what's happening in the world around us, we're going to understand what temptations are coming, what's laying ahead, what in the culture we may need to be battling against, what we need to let go of, what we need to be prepared for as we see what's happening in the world around us. And I think the hardest part for us is you have to slow down to be able to do this, right? To see these things and to reflect appropriately and to spend time thinking about how your soul is and what's happening in the world around us you can't do that in 30 seconds or a minute or probably even five minutes. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes being a little uncomfortable, I think, right? Being honest with yourself about how you're doing, about what's going on. But the Christian life can and should, I think, be a deeper, slower life than what other people are living. Right, because we shouldn't be worried about some of the things that other people are worried about that they're working so hard for that they're trying to take care of on their own, right? Because we can trust that God has those covered. Right? And the goal of reflection is to bring us closer to God, to keep us following Jesus. And as Habakkuk reflects, how does he respond? Right? We see here he responds with prayer. And now when we pray, most of us probably pray for the same exact things, I'm willing to bet. We pray for health, we pray for some level of success, we pray for wisdom, for decisions, and anything urgent that is happening in our lives. I can bet you that most of us are praying about those four or five things every time we pray, almost every day. So, I want us in this to go deeper, just like Habakkuk does. Not just to pray for these simple things, and we should pray for those things. Those are all good things to pray for. Right? But it's just like we saw, if you only go surface level, you can only do so much. Because we should do that. We want healing for people. We want healing for ourselves and for others. But that shouldn't be all we pray for. Because at some level, a lack of prayer, and actually a lack of asking for prayer for yourself personally, at some level means you think you can handle it on your own. Right? If we ask for prayer requests on Wednesday or sometimes if we do it on a Sunday and nobody has any, 
It's sort of saying, oh, we've all got this covered on our own. We don't need God's help for anything in our lives right now. And you can push back on that a little bit, but I think on a deeper level, that's actually what's happening, right? I don't think of anything in my life that I need God's help for. So I want us to go deeper in that because Habakkuk's reflection led him to a deeper level of prayer. He's praying for heavy, systemic issues. He's praying about who God is and how he acts in the world. So as we pray, spend time in reflection, just like Habakkuk did, right? And look at what's happening in your life and ask questions like, why does this thing make me angry? Why do I get angry every time this one thing happens? What's going on with that? What's going on in my heart? What's going on in my soul that makes me angry when that happens or makes me frustrated? Or actually something that makes you happy that isn't something good. Does that make sense? I'm not going to go so far to say something sinful that makes you happy, but something that you know you shouldn't be happy about, but it makes you feel good when you do it. Right? What are those things in your life? Because those are the things that you're going to be tempted to trust in instead of God. Right? Because it makes you happy when you do it. So when I'm struggling, when I'm down, I can just turn and do that instead of seeking God. Right? And then spend a time in confession of confessing our sin. Because I think this is one, and we talked about this in our spiritual disciplines class, and I think it was, it was one of our best discussions, I thought, um, about confessing sin in prayer. And we talked a lot about, well, when we confess, can we just say, God, forgive me for all of my sins, and then we're covered and everything is done. And that's somewhat helpful. But what I, what I came to realize, and this is like I probably shouldn't say this, but what I came to realize in the conversation, I wasn't actually prepared to say this when there, but it made me realize when we were talking about it is, until you confess a specific sin and say, I confess for lying or cheating or gossiping or whatever it is, you haven't actually dealt with it. Right? You can't overcome it if you don't actually confess that specific sin. If you just do a general thing, you're just kind of covering it, but you're not actually dealing with the issue of what's going on in your heart. So when we confess, we need to get to the point where we can say, I'm angry because I'm selfish. Because these people or this thing is encroaching on my time and my plan and what I wanted to do, and so every time they show up, I get angry. Right? So I don't need to just deal with being angry. I need to deal with selfishness. Right? That's what's lying behind it. So we need to spend time in reflection and confession for what's behind all of those things in us because that's where we break through. That's where we deal with sin in our lives and we hope to overcome it as we do that. And then as we confess, we turn to a time of repentance, right? which is basically turning away and saying, God, I don't want to do this anymore. I see it. I confess. I know what's going on in my heart. I don't want to do it. I want to seek you instead to actually say that. God, help me to not do that anymore. And our time in prayer is basically, when you spend an extended time, I think what we're actually doing is we're just letting the Holy Spirit do his work to correct us, to teach us. I think it's no accident that the Holy Spirit is called a counselor in the Bible, right? Because a lot of what we just talked about if you're not a Christian, you would go to a counselor or a therapist to deal with these things, 
right? But God gives us a counselor in the Holy Spirit who can help us see these things in us and to understand what's going on in our hearts so that we can confess and repent and grow and understand the truths of God. And so we find God when we respond with deeper prayer, just like Habakkuk. But what Habakkuk is actually really struggling with, if you read through this again, is he's struggling with his expectations of who God is and what he sees happening in the world. Right? What he's seeing doesn't match what he believes about God. Because if you look at his prayer, these are the things that he thinks God should be doing. Right? He should be listening. He should be saving. He should be dealing with just, injustice. He should be upholding the law. He should be judging the wicked. And I think we would say, yeah, we agree. Those are all things that we believe God should be doing and can do. But when we get to Habakkuk, he's not. He's not doing those things. At least not in this moment, in this time. So what do we do with that? We believe that God should be doing these things, but in this moment, he's not doing them. Does that mean that God is not who we think he is? Does that mean we misunderstood who God is and what that means? Does it mean we have too small a view of God? And maybe it's some of those. And like I warned you before, I'm going to leave you hanging a little bit here and not give you the answers because we'll find those answers in the rest of the book. But we do find God when we reconcile our expectations. When we match up our beliefs about who God is to who God actually is, right? Which means we match what we think we believe to what the Bible says about God. Not in the reverse, where we try to match the Bible to what we already believe. Do you understand the difference, right? The Bible comes first, not what we believe comes first, because the Bible corrects us. We don't go looking to confirm what we already think in the Bible. So the question I have for you is, where are your expectations of God different from your experience of God? What do you believe God should be doing in your life or in the world that he's not doing? Right? And how do you reconcile that? How do you deal with that? What does the scripture say about that? And we're going to answer those questions as we go along. But I would challenge you, even if you think you understand who God is, and you're like, well, I don't really see any places... <clears throat> in my life where I believe one thing about him, but I'm not experiencing that, so I think I'm all good. But I want to challenge you because even if you think you understand, there's always more depth. There's always more you can understand about any of God's attributes, about any of his character, about any of his nature. So if you believe God is loving and you see him being loving in the world, that's great. But it goes deeper than what I think we all understand. Right? If God is infinitely holy and infinitely perfect and infinitely lovely, lo loving, you can't understand everything about him in 20 minutes or 20 years or 200 years. Right? So even if you read everything that's ever been written about God being loving, there's still more to learn about how God is loving. Right? So even if we're together, you can still go deeper. 
It made me think of the verse, it's in Romans, I, th- I think, of, of, of who can know the mind of the Lord, right? Who can understand what he's doing? Because he knows more than us. And we don't quite understand what he's doing all of the time, right? That's some of what Habakkuk is doing. I don't understand what God is doing right now. And the problem, I think, is the problem usually isn't that we can't believe that there's a higher power than us. The problem is that we can't reconcile that this being is smarter or greater than we are. Right? The real problem comes when, well, I should be smart enough or I am smart enough to understand what God is doing. And if I can't understand it, then he's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. Right? So we're saying, essentially, God can't be smarter than me. Maybe that's just me, but I think we all do that at some level because we go, "Why, God, why are you doing this? If I was in charge, I would do it this way. You should be doing it this way. But God is greater than us. He knows more than us. He understands more than us. He can see more than us. Right? But it's actually really good news that he's smarter than us, that he's more understanding than us, that he has a purpose bigger than we can see. Because as we look around at the world, if we were to do this like Habakkuk and just look at, right, or if you were just to go home and just watch the news for 30 minutes, I think we would all say, we need something or someone who is better than us to come and fix this because we're not doing it and we're not doing very good, right? We're falling all over the place. I had this thought at the beginning of the week to keep track of um, all the shootings for the week and just give you the number, um, just to say how, because one of the th- words in Habakkuk that he cries out again and again is the word violence, but I, after July 4th, I just couldn't do it because the number was 150 after, on one day, right? Like when we look at the world, it's broken. We need someone else to come and help us because we're not getting it. We're not going to be able to solve these problems on our own. And we're going we're gonna to wrap this up by, by looking at verse 4. In verse 4, just the first line of verse 4, it says, This is why the law is ineffective. Your tradition may have paralyzed or it may have a word like numb. And so Habakkuk has made these observations and reflections, and he feels like the law is paralyzed to help the situation. Right? The law doesn't work. It's not working. People are being taken advantage of. It's unjust. Uh, Rich people have taken over, and they're making all the decisions, and everybody else just has to deal with it. And he's not completely wrong, I don't think. But what he is referring to is the Mosaic Law, which outlines how to make atonement for sins and to be in right standing with God. But this concept, I think, is true for any laws. Because laws are basically, they're a list of things that you can and can't do. That's what laws are. You can do this, you can't do that. It guides people in how to live. But it doesn't really change how you live. If you are driving and you want to break the speed limit bad enough, you're going to break the speed limit, right? The law doesn't take away your desire to drive fast or to get to your destination faster. 
It just says you should only get to your destination at this speed as long as there's no cops around, right? And then it's just more like a suggestion, right? The law is great for keeping people somewhat safe and somewhat civil. The law is not good at changing us into people who want to obey the law. The law doesn't make people good. It gives us incentives for acting good. The law restrains us from the outside, right? But as we just talked about, if we look at our world, the way Habakkuk looked at the world, I think we may say some of the exact same things. I see violence. I see injustice. I see corrupt systems. I see conflict. Right? But the answer isn't to make more laws or rules to make people be nice to each other. Right? We need people to actually change. The, the good news for us is the Bible gives us the answer for how to do that. And it's the message that we talk about every week. It's the message of the gospel. The message that we are all broken, we're all sinful, we're all selfish, we're all prideful, we're all liars, we're all gossipers, we're all cheaters. No amount of rules and no amount of punishments are going to change who we are. We need something else. So God, in another move that I think we also have trouble fully understanding, sends Jesus, his only son, to the earth to live among us, to experience what we experience. But because he is fully God and fully man, he lived it perfectly, not without temptation, but without sin. He broke no laws, not because he was able to restrain himself, but because he was holy and good. And he lived perfectly, and then he allowed himself to be convicted like he was guilty, like he had broken all the laws, like he was in rebellion against God. And he took the punishment of death for all of those who were actually guilty, who can't follow the law, who don't follow the law, who aren't holy, who fall short. And in his death, he conquered sin and death. And he took the punishment for all sinners. And as we trust and believe in him and gives our lives over to him, his righteousness becomes our righteousness. Our hearts become new. With the desire to obey and to serve and to do what is good. With the desire to follow the law and God's commands. Not because that's the law but because we love him and we want to serve him and we want to obey him and we are devoted to Jesus, right? We can be made new. We can have hope no matter the circumstances, which a little bit of a spoiler, this is kind of where we're going to end up in Habakkuk, that no matter what comes, we can trust in God. But not only for us, we can be changed, but we can also help others change. This message of the gospel isn't just for us. It's for the people around us, the people who are hurting, the people who are suffering, the people who are looking for hope. We believe this is the hope they're looking for, right? Something outside of us that can help change people, 
not just make better laws or more laws or all the things, but to actually change who people are. And we can help others. We can do this. Not through the law, not through rules and rituals, but through Jesus and his sacrificial death for us on the cross. And so, yes, today in Habakkuk, it feels heavy. It feels rough. It feels like there's something, some things going on that shouldn't be going on. And I imagine we probably feel a lot like that about our world today. It's not pretty. There's a lot of things going on that we don't think should be going on. Things should be very different than they are. But we spend time seeking God in reflection, in prayer, and then reconciling what we understand about God with who he actually is. Not who we want him to be, not who we hope he is, but who he actually is according to Scripture. And those are the answers that we're going to get in the next few weeks of who God actually is and how he is responding sometimes even when we can't quite see it. So you guys pray with me this morning. God, we come before you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you have done for us. We thank you for your sacrifice for sin. We thank you for a, even a book like Habakkuk. That's a, it's a heavy topic. It's a heavy subject of, of what do we do when there's, there's evil, there's suffering in the world, but it seems like you don't care. It seems like you're not watching, like you're not paying attention, like you're asleep. God, help us to understand, to trust in you even in those moments, but to do so in, in reflection and in prayer, not just whining and complaining that our lives are difficult, but actually seeking you and seeking what's going on in our hearts and reconciling that with who you are. So God, help us just in this somewhat to be patient so we can hear your response to these questions next week of what you're doing and, and how you're working. So help us to, to seek you to slow down, to spend time in deep reflection with you. It's in your name I pray. Amen.